Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod. Um, I've got my my co-host out there in, in Glenageary, uh, Mark Baker. How's it going, Marky B? I'm good, Luke. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. I was talking to our guest here, Tom Moore, and saying that Mark doesn't like it when I call him Marky B, and uh, it seems to be. <laughs> I've catchy. never actually said it, but I've, it's the look I give, you know. It's... <laughs> well, uh, listen, Tom Moore of Cartoon Saloon is here. We're honored to have him here. It's not it's not often that we get a, a uh, Academy Award nominee on the, uh, the Shark Pod, right? Uh, so we'll uh, we have a chat about that. So. Um, uh, Tom is the one of the founders of Cartoon Saloon, based out of Kilkenny. Um, really, really interesting business. Me and Mark have been kind of watching these guys from afar. Um, love the, the the work that you guys do. So we wanted to have a chat with Tom and see how how we got into this business. All his kind of thoughts on making great uh, great work and uh, kind of dive in there. Mark, what do you think? You're you're an artist. You're loving all these ones, aren't you? Yeah, Tom. I suppose if you want to kind of give an introduction to uh, to our listeners. Your, your background and then the kind of work you've been doing over the last few years. Yeah, well, I grew up here in Kilkenny. I'm originally from Newry, but I moved down here as a, as a young kid. And I grew up here and I was a member of Young Irish Filmmakers here in Kilkenny as a teenager. And then I went to Ballyfermot and studied animation in Ballyfermot in the 90s. And in around the year 2000, myself and Paul Young and a whole gang of us from college sort of came back down to Kilkenny. And Paul and I had been trading just after after work, you know, doing bits and pieces of job after college. I mean, you know, doing work after college from our bedrooms as Cartoon Saloon. And then when we came down here to Kilkenny uh, around the end of 99 or year 2000, we uh, went back into where the Young Irish Filmmakers were based and set up Cartoon Saloon with about 10 pals from college. And um, yeah, 22 years later, here we are. Um, it's been quite a, a, an amazing roller coaster and one that we never anticipated. Like, I mean, the original, original plan was, you know, we thought we were naive enough thinking we could make a movie in a couple of years and then that would be a calling card and we'd all get jobs in Disney or something. But, you know, it turns out we're still in my hometown. So it's the, I guess the Disney of Kilkenny at this stage, it seems like it's, uh, really, I don't know if you've ever seen it. But, I think uh, when I was, there was, there was a period of time I mentioned previously when I was considering going into animation, given the, you know, that I could draw mm-hmm. a bit when I was younger. So, um, didn't, it didn't happen. I didn't, I didn't give it enough effort. My portfolio was probably something I put together while studying for chemistry in the leave insert. I had other stuff to focus <laughs> on trying to do honors maths. Oh, and I didn't man. focus on the one thing. So, Tom, you, you're living my uh, my dream. So, is it is it all cracked <laughs> up to be? Oh yeah, man, it's amazing. Like absolutely, there's not there's nothing bad about it. It's all yeah, good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, I think we're all on enough in the two to know that there's <laughs> no no perfect situation. But when you were to yes. go back to 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 write when you were a child, like what was. What was your kind of motivation with art? Were you were you talented from an early age? What were you, what were you kind of drawing when you were young? Yeah, I was encouraged, you know, like one of the earliest uh, images of my art is a photo my parents took of me when I was about three years old, standing beside a blackboard where I had drawn 
Popeye a dog. I decided Popeye needed a dog and I'd drawn a dog for him. Now, if you look at the photo, I don't know how talented I was, but my parents were doting, you know, <laughs> and they, they made me feel I was talented. And sometimes I think that's all you need is that little bit of encouragement to keep going. And uh, I kept going and I made friends, some of my best friends that I still work with today, like Ross Stewart. I went to school with him and we went to fill Young Irish Filmmakers in Ballyfermot together. So I think I was just, you know, very lucky in a lot of ways that a lot of things, um, you know, collided in my life at the same time, you know, different things coalesced and uh, I was able to pursue it as a career. You know, my dad was into art when he was a kid, but he became an engineer and, you know, I actually... Um, I have an uncle, actually, funny enough, now that I think of it, same, same story as you, very talented artist himself, um, he became a lawyer, and then went on to become a singer-songwriter, you know, so he's a singer-songwriter, lawyer, so, you know, in the history of the family, there was creative people, but usually they had to get quote-unquote real jobs, and I've yeah. managed to avoid a real job so far, anyway. <laughs> were, you su- were you surrounded, but like, I always felt when I was younger, and I was the only one that was good at drawing in the class, mm-hmm. like, there's one or two, maybe others, but... I felt like I was the one that everybody came to. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you surrounded? Like I would have probably benefited from a group of people that actually could have, we all could have got together and made something of it, you know? Yeah. I was look. well, I was that kid in, in primary school. Ross Stewart was a year ahead of me in primary school. And then he went to Irish college for a year in, um, between primary school and secondary school. So I ended up in the same class as Ross Stewart. And so we were the two best artists from our primary school classes together in one class. And a friendly competition ensued. I remember him challenging me to a Batman draw-off. It was 1989 and the Tim Burton Batman movie had just come out and we were all mad about it. So we had a draw-off, you know. So from that day onwards, we've been you know, frenemies, you know, been pals and trying to be as good as the other one, you know. And I do think that's a huge part of it. And then also I feel very lucky that Young Irish Filmmakers set up in Kilkenny because really if it wasn't for that and you weren't into hurling, you were kind of nobody in Kilkenny. So thankfully that group was here, based here in Kilkenny and I made a lot more friends through that and sort of made it feel like something that could be done. You know, mm. um, I think the Don Bluth studio being in Dublin when I was a kid as well gave me the idea that it wasn't like you'd have friends of friends whose auntie works in the Don Bluth studio, you know, that kind of way. You'd, you'd heard mm. of somebody who worked in animation. And I can imagine 10 years prior to that, animation would have seemed like an impossible dream because it was something that was only happening in Hollywood or London or Paris or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. So those yeah. sort of things, I think those sort of things contributed to me keeping at it, you know? It's funny too, the, the thing you mentioned about being encouraged by, by your dad and maybe that was the thing that spurred mm. you on. When I was five i did this painting of a no it wasn't painting it was it was it was uh it was chalk on on black paper and we all did it in junior infants i was five and for some reason and it was put into some competition i think they all were but for some reason it was selected as like worthy to go into the national museum for like what? a week or something what? you know along with it. it was obviously some kind of kids event thing sure sure but, but that's probably my earliest memory of, I don't even think I was that into drawing at that age. I just think, yeah. I just think I'd love people telling me I'm great. So, yeah. so when yeah. someone yeah. said that, I just go, oh, shit, I better. And it was hung right beside the principal's office in my school in Shankill in Dublin. And it was there, it was there for 20 years probably. And I just thought, yeah. oh, I'm the guy, I have to, you know, I'm an artist now, so I better yeah. be that. So exactly. I always think that could have been it, you know. Very often. And I think any little spark that you have, 
I mean, talent is is a fleeting little thing. Like lots of people have it and they don't make anything of it, you know, and that's fine as well. It's a choice, but it's nurturing it, you know, that little spark and keeping going. So something like that happening to you at five, I would well believe. I often say kids are all artists until someone tells them they're not. And there's always this kind of um, funnel effect in primary school. My wife teaches in the girls' school here and they're all mad into art. And then by sixth class, there's a tiny little group of them that are still into it. You know, because she trained in NCAD as well. So she'd have an eye for the kids that are into art. And she always says they're all mad into art up until about first class. And then they all start getting, oh, you're the good artist. I'm not. You know, they all kind of start falling off. It's mad, mad effect. Yeah. 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 Even my kids are showing really good signs as well. But I'm at the same time, I'm they're seeing my stuff in galleries and stuff. And I'm telling them. You're you're gonna be good. You know, look at me. You're yeah. you're 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 way better than me when yeah. I was that age. Wow. Yeah. And whether I mean that or not, you know, some Doesn't of the matter. drawings could be a little bit better. So some of them are excellent. <laughs> yeah. but they're all amazing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Just yeah. Yeah. kids are pretty young, but they're all amazing. And yeah. now they're all, yeah. like, and I, and it's giving people the tools as well. I think giving yeah. kids. I always had my friends. My dad's friend worked for Canon. You know, they do the, they do paper. They do yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The paper. Yeah. He used to give us endless amounts of paper and it was just always put in front of me as a as a cheap babysitter and always had all you, all you need is really pencils and colors it's the cheapest yeah, pastime, so common, it? yeah because dad was um a part of being an engineer was being a technical draftsman and he had all this cool gear that i always wanted to get my hands on and wasn't allowed to use like rotring pens and this was pre-cad like this is the mid 80s so he had a computer that he did stuff on but he also did have a big drawing board with weights on the back and all and for me that just seemed so cool to draw with that but he never let me he had this green uh computer paper it was like long rings of it really long and he would give that to me so yeah again cheap paper, cheap yeah, paper. Yeah. you remember that stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i'm aging myself but yeah that was for whatever kind of computer he had at the time that was the printer paper and it was like cheap and abundant and as you say that's all you need you know and now it's with my kids they obviously still they used the, the paper and pencils but it's all like on the on their ipads and stuff now and they're looking that's to use the pens yeah so I thought, oh, they might be a bit young. And I said, all right, I'll just buy a couple of pens. So I bought the pens and they were doing great stuff, particularly my, my nine-year-old. She was doing great. And then she, and then I had a tablet, a Wacom tablet or Wacom tablet, whatever they're called. Yeah. I got it for myself two years ago and I've just been so busy. I haven't actually taught myself how to do kind of uh, computerized stuff. So yeah. um, I gave it to her. She, she, she saw it and she was like, oh, can I have that? And I gave it to her. You don't see the work she's doing. And at Amazing. nine, I just think it's such a head start. Yeah, if yeah. if they're passionate about something, whether that be and sport it, or whatever, yeah, you know, just and it tools. might be, it might only ever be like something that they do alongside whatever their main living mm. is. But it's such a lovely skill to have, and you know, plenty of people have a lot of satisfaction from doing art as well as whatever they do. It doesn't have to be the the be all and end all because it can be a tough life too. You know, mm. it's not necessarily for everyone. I think there's a second part, a bit of talent, a bit of encouragement, and then also a certain amount of can do gumption and you know not wanting to do anything else i remember when i was in filmmakers some of the kids wanted to be actors and the guy running it would be encouraging but he also would say if there's anything else anything else you want to do do that because being an actor is so hard but if the only thing you can imagine being happy doing is acting then let's talk about it you know what i mean because it's a yeah. tough game tough game you know in a way i envy that single-mindedness of of some people um mm-hmm. no i don't envy the 
the million waiters going around LA, you yeah. know, but yeah. I envy yeah. that. Like I, I sometimes wish maybe art was my only thing, but I could do a few other things. Ah, uh, yeah. You're too talented. I wouldn't say that. No, I know a few people like that who were brainy and, you know, be terrible waste. If you only did art, you could be a doctor or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't think I'd be a doctor, but an accountant, but uh, not, not to making drastic changes in the world doing that. But um, so for for you, did you, was there any moment in, in time where you, when you were younger and you thought, obviously I love this, this is my passion. How do I make it a job? Or did it all yeah. just kind of evolve? Well, I was always really into um, comics and uh, animation. And I did have a childhood dream to work in like the Don Bluth studio. Then I figured out that the Teenage Turtles was being made in Dublin. So I, you know, that seemed something you could do. And I, I did have that in mind. But mm. obviously as a teenager, a few other ideas would, and like I was decent at school like I was in the hot top stream and stuff in my secondary school so my parents I remember my mom kind of going oh you know it'd be a pity because you know you love art and it relaxes you as a hobby it'd be a pity for to ruin it you know maybe you could study something else I did my CAO CAS and I got accepted into Trinity to do like arts and no, what was it? Art history in English and stuff. I did that. I did a yeah. in art history. Did you do? Yeah. So I deferred that. I said, that's there. And then for my life changed completely. My first year of Ballyferma College, my wife and I had our son and everything. So like my life kind of took a different, a different turn when I was just at the beginning of animation school. So I kind of had to knuckle down fairly young, you know? Yeah. Very good. And so the Ballyferma uh, school, is that still where people go to learn? This type of uh, these types of skills, or is it the, is there somewhere else in, in Ireland where aspiring? I, it was funny, was... right? When I was a kid, I was very focused on the Don Bluth studio, and it was closing down by the time I went to Ballyferm. It was kind of on its last legs, and I remember sneaking into the studio at night. I was such a nerd with some friends and stealing like cells and stuff from the movies that they had in dumpsters out. My the wife would pay good money for that stuff. Yeah. Name, all that kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah. I have some secret and name stuff and all that I just nabbed that they were shredding because the studio was closing down. And then we were a little bit in the doldrums and, and Bally Firm was taken on by Disney Paris. And so Disney Paris became the focus then for a long time that uh, I never ended up there. But like Nora, one of my partners, did an internship there and stuff. So because Bally Firm had been sponsored, not as much as a university, more like a kind of training you know, training very, I don't know how you put technical college way for those studios. That's what I ended up there. But like Dunleary, even then was a much more of an art school, much more of a film school, much more of a broader education. So Dunleary is still going. Ballyfermot has become much, it's, it's associated itself with the University of Dundee. Like I never got a degree or anything, but these days they give a degree through the University of Dundee. And there's like animation is booming. Like I have seen in the last 22 years from us starting up because there was nothing else out there practically to the fact that it's a pretty big industry in terms of the size of Ireland, you know, and Ireland has become a bit of a hub for animation. So there's schools in Limerick and Athlone and, Jess everywhere seems to have an animation course now, you know. It's great to see as well because it's something that, like you said, that you, growing up in Ireland, maybe it's not something that, you know, would have been known for. There was only that one studio at least gives you that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of like, uh, yeah. light, light at the end of the tunnel. But like, is, with, you, with you guys starting up in uh, Kilkenny, was it the, was it kind of the vision to go international and kind of be, you know, having your, your stuff seen everywhere in the world or was it kind of more of a local uh vision on that what would you say 
God, I don't know if we were thinking international. I think early on, because was young Irish film, I had a connection with Channel 4 and Channel 4 Schools. And uh, we had done a live action feature film as young Irish filmmakers. While I was in college, I'd been involved in it with Channel 4 Schools. So there seemed to be a way with young Irish filmmakers that we could get some money from FOSS, which we did. We were hoping to make a sale into the UK or to RTE or something and try and make what became Secret Accounts, as, as I said, like kind of a calling card. We said, let's make a film. And then that would put us on the map. We were so naive and so young. And we were talking about, in a way, I was happy to kind of extend the college experience for a few years. Most of our friends were going into video games and I didn't want to go into video games. So I kind of wanted to keep going with hand-drawn animation. I've become a bit idealistic and passionate while I was in college. And uh, all of us became and they're happy to kind of extend that college experience a bit. We were on a wing and a prayer. Like, I mean, Mike Kelly and Young Irish Filmmakers helped us organise that. I think it was like £100 a week or something. So it was just a continuation of the college lifestyle. And it was the very start of the internet. So we were doing work for people all over the world because Kilkenny was lucky enough to be one of the first places with some kind of broadband. And we were doing like e-cards and, you know, like anything to pay the bills. So we tried to divide our week that... Part of the week we would work on e-cards or websites or whatever we were getting paid to do. And the rest of the week we'd work on this film, you know, and then it just snowballed. I wouldn't even say it snowballed unless it was a snowball that started on a very slight incline <laughs> and very slowly grew and then suddenly went faster, you know. It was about 2005 where I think it was really starting to get feel a bit hairy for all of us that like we've made a couple of short films with the film board. We've done a few TV commercials. And I really did feel like, um, you know, it needed to come together. I was about 27, 28, and I was feeling like maybe I'd missed the boat where some of my friends were already off working in DreamWorks or wherever. Um, and we'd been kind of knocking around in Kilkenny. And uh, that was the year where things started to coalesce for us, thankfully. And we got a TV show called Skunk Fu off the ground at the same time that the finance finally came together for Secret Accounts. And so that was around the time that things really picked up, you know, and, and kicked off. So like we were saying, it's a kind of a, a 22 year overnight success. Is that the, is yeah, that the... <laughs> big time? Well, even like only a couple of years ago, people would have said, oh, you work in animation. Oh, do you work in brown bag? You know, yeah. and uh, like that's brown bag are a great company. It's nice to be compared with them. But, it, you know, our studio kind of was tip, tipping away for a long time before it kind of took its place alongside brown bag and some of the other studios. And how much how much thought goes into your style you know cartoons so the style you can quite see it you can see it going through all the all the movies was that a conscious thing did that take time or was it just kind of natural yeah like when we first set up we were kind of paid to be chameleons we were often doing um you know five minutes of a feature film for a studio in spain or the art director in an art ad agency would ask us to do something but he wanted it to be in the style of the simpsons or you know i remember laughing at one point at one point, everybody said, let's do it in the style of the gorillas. The gorillas videos came out in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, everybody who came to us wanted us. And we were like, you know, those guys are working as well. You can hire them too, you know. <laughs> but we were the cheaper version, you know. So there was a there was a period when we were just asked to be, to for our style to be no style and just, and just you know, kind of got paid to copy other people. And then we were working on our own projects. And I think on our own projects, we were developing a kind of a, a little manifesto of what hand-drawn animation could do that CG couldn't do because CG was growing and growing and becoming the main 3D animation since 1995. 
with Toy Story was becoming more and more the dominant way. And we were like, what can hand-drawn animation do? You know, and uh, we were also kind of combining some looking at Irish art, like the Book of Kells and stuff for our first film, looking at kind of ancient medieval manuscripts and see, oh, look at that, like playing with things that weren't really in true perspective, because you can do that with a drawing where the computer will always be perfect perspective. And, you know, our style kind of evolved from seriously questioning how can we integrate some of these influences from medieval art and the things that we thought only hand-drawn animation could do. And like, I think it's still developing, you know, it's still contain like Wolfwalkers is the last film I directed with Ross Stewart. And in that, we were really pushing the hand-drawn aspect of it as much as we could. Mm. So it's, it's, it's funny, of- Tom, my, my eldest, my nine-year-old Layla, she said, first thing she said when we watched it was, oh, you can see the underlying drawings in those yeah. still. And I was like, she goes, I could see the shapes. Yeah. So in a way, it's kind of teaching people how, yeah. how it's done. You know. Yeah, and it, that's it. It's a bit like trying to take the, the polish off because computers mm. do the polish so well. We kind of, like, our, for our first couple of films that were even animated on paper, like Secret Accounts, we put so much polish on because we thought people wouldn't accept it otherwise. So we played with very flat style, but it almost looked like it had been drawn, you know, so perfectly, but it was all drawn by hand on paper. And I started to realise, no, we should start loosening up and let people see that these are drawings because they're saturated by uh, computer animation. The whole, you know, everything kids watch nearly are computer animated now. So mm. this will stand out. And what used to feel nice to me was when I'd see 101 Dalmatians or Disney's Robin Hood or whatever, they looked like drawings, you know? And I felt like oh, I could maybe do that. I can see that's a drawing. Whereas if you look at a Pixar film, you might feel, geez, I don't know how that was done. It's like magic or something. Because if you don't mm. know the software, it might seem crazy. But when you see that it's drawings, there's something very tactile. It makes me think as well of like um, Wallace and Gromit, you know, from Aardman. Yeah. You can see the thumbprints on it and it just looks like you could do that. Like it feels tactile, you know. You can almost see the amount of work gone into it, I think, mm. as well. People appreciate that. It's like when I'm doing, I used to focus on doing hyper-realistic realism. And sometimes when, when you scan it or take a picture of it, you put it up online. Some it's people like would think it was not. I was like, and I was like, oh yeah, you have you have uh, fo- uh, cameras for that, really. So what, what am I doing? So then I I started because I'm a perfectionist. I started peeling back a little bit, just stopping a little bit early, doing the the underlying or stuff or the underpainting, and then just not fully filling it all in with the with the stuff. And people preferred them because yeah. I think as they understood the amount of effort that then that's gone into the it. Hand. They could feel the artist's hand. Yeah, and I even preferred that as well. I don't know what I was doing. I suppose when you're kind of teaching yourself, sometimes you stretch yourself to, to the max. Of course, and then, of course. I'm sure it's the same with music. Then you pair it back and, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I do definitely think that if you can draw from life well, convincingly, um, naturalistically or realistically, then you're, you're opening up a load of styles to yourself. But if you only draw in one very stylized way, you're kind of limited, you know? So there are people who make a whole career out of only drawing a certain way, but someone like yourself who has a, a, a really strong grasp of the fundamentals, and that's kind of why I went to Ballyferma. I felt that the life drawing and the overall art education there was very practical. It was like learning to be a carpenter. Like you won't come out of there not able to draw, and they were training you to be ready to go into a studio and fit into a studio. So if the director wanted this style, you could do it. Mm. And I admired that. I was only 16, 17. I thought, oh, that's what I want to do, you know? And then it took me a longer time to find my own style. But at the start, I just wanted to be a good craftsman. And, and you know, that comes from knowing the fundamentals, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think that's... 
probably is a difference between getting taught to an extent and then self-taught. Because I'm self-taught, I almost started painting from the outside in as opposed to the inside out. If I had learned the structure of things from the inside first, I'd have been way more adaptable yeah, with, with my work. Right. But I wasn't. It was outside out. And then I remember a friend of mine, Niall O'Loughlin. I don't know if you know Niall from... Yes, yeah. I know I know his name and I know his work. I know him he was, he, he was the work in... He's in uh, animation, yeah. Yeah, in Brown Bag. Or I think it was Brown Bag. Um, Certainly he did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff. Oh, yeah, in, in Murray County was, yeah. Yeah, but I I met Niall years ago and I was looking to get into galleries and stuff and he helped me get into galleries and he said, do you ever try caricatures? Like, you're doing portraits. We both do the same thing. Mine is just caricatures. And I just couldn't do it because uh, I hadn't learned anything, really. I was literally painting what I saw, not yes. what... So I couldn't change a hand movement at all. I didn't know what way to put the, the shadow on it. Um, so I, I think that's that's so interesting. I learned mm. the opposite because I mm. went to college and we did life drawing. I have my friend over here. I've been putting my back self back to school. I'm going on sabbatical in a couple of weeks to to Paris for about six months, and I'm going to just right. be studying anatomy and life drawing. And I've been literally studying from the inside out. Thomas and, just uh, brought a, a skeleton, skeleton into the <laughs> camera. Yeah, my granddaughter has named it Marshmallow. Okay. And so, <laughs> she calls it marshmallow. She didn't like her for her at first. A female skeleton, as it turns out. But yeah, I've been just really getting into anatomy and uh, getting down. And it, to me, it's quite meditative to get back into that stuff I learned in college because so much of my career has become about people skills and management. And you know, directing is an awful lot of um, an awful lot of that as well. So my own personal career as an artist, if if I didn't fight for it, could fall by the wayside, and you just end up sort. of not that this is like there's plenty of directors who work this way and it's a fine way to work, but you could end up not drawing and mostly focusing on just telling other people what to do. I like to draw myself. So I'm kind of taking some time out to go back to art school, as it were, and do that real nitty gritty stuff in the mm. called the bazaar and stuff. Yeah. Wow. And what, what's your, sorry, Luke, we're getting real into the art here now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what's your favorite like medium to use? Is it, is it just pencil and paper? Or do you paint, do you ever paint oils, watercolors? No, I paint in watercolors like, kind of a bit and I do mm. bits and pieces in watercolors mostly the way I work is I have animation paper <laughs> boxes and boxes of animation paper and I draw with black wing pencils and that's it and that's all I've ever used and that's all I do yeah and um, for me it's an it's 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 a means to an end usually I sketch and all like this and then I go to the Cintiq and an awful lot of our work starts with a drawing scanned in and then polished in the computer you know mm. so watercolors for any backgrounds and stuff like that and I mean I'm not the best background artist we have an amazing team in the studio I mostly focus on characters but for most of the backgrounds in the films I've directed or co-directed it's um, line work drawn on paper scanned in and then a very loose wash of watercolor done on a second layer and then they're combined in photoshop and we add lighting and all that kind of stuff in the computer so it's a real mixture of traditional and digital you know I'd say Patience is a huge part of your an animator's job, is it? You know, I, I feel I'd be very impatient, yeah. like putting I, the scene together. Like it surely yeah, it takes so I long. Never, I never really felt it, felt it before. Like I turned 40 a few years ago and I realized, Jesus, this is like owning a dog. Like there's only so many dogs you'll own in your life. There's only so many animated features you'll make in a lifetime. You know, like mm. I've made three animated features, which is pretty good going. But um, yeah, how many more are in me? And is there other things that are other ways I could tell stories or whatever? And I think it's why a lot of people who end up directing in animation 
end up moving into live action or producing and stuff just to try and have a few more things on the go at one time because one project like it was eight years on Wolfwalkers, you know they're they're long yeah when so we, wow it's Wolfwalkers, we mean mark are both big fans i actually first heard of Wolfwalkers on the tim ferris uh podcast uh, he did not yeah he's like he, he said did he mention it he mentioned it and he goes he goes I, if you know i just want to he, he like he mentioned it specifically and said if you you know want to watch something beautiful there's uh, this thing called what? the Wolfwalkers. Uh, I gotta take it up. I'll, I'll send you the clip if I can if I can find it. And he said, you know, he said, you know, he talks about you know, it feels a bit you know very Irishy. And I think some of the stuff, I, what I loved about the movie as well is that there is loads of Irishness woven into it that might go over people's head, but it would still speak to people in America and stuff like that. There's a few yeah. few Irish words in there like. Uh, uh, Maeve uh, Mukhtera. Mukhtera, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and stuff like that. Like those little kind of details, which I like. And also, like, it, but it does have a very broad, I, like I can see this working everywhere. And uh, Tim Ferriss will give you a big shout out there. That's that's kind of, that's yeah. the first time I heard about it. And then I, I looked into it there. But eight that's years. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's because Apple did a big load of promotion. Apple took it on. And Wolf Walkers was like the third feature that we made based on Irish folklore, they all had the same kind of theme and I wanted them all to fit together into like a trilogy kind of thing. Mm. But when Apple took on Wolfwalkers, I think it was their first animated feature and they wanted to sort of, you know, go head to head with Netflix and Disney and all. So I think they just upped the publicity to the point where any budget we might have had in Ireland for publicity would have shrank in comparison to the fact that an American podcaster would mention it, you know, and some movie stars and stuff like mentioned it and saw it and everything like that. And I think, I think it was Reese Witherspoon wrote on Twitter that she loved it and, you know, things like that. So I think it's the one that broke through, you know. And so when you're like, when you're dealing with these companies and stuff like that, do you kind of, when you're trying to bring this to market, is there like a marketplace that you go and then, all these guys are looking for content. Um, a lot of people are at home now a lot of the time as well. So I guess yeah. the content market is kind of doing well. Um, is that how that works? Or is there a team there that is kind of reaching out and telling people about these uh, these these yeah. pieces of work? Um, when, well, there's two. Like we're, We've grown to the point now where we have a second studio here in Kilkenny called Lighthouse Studios. And that's exclusively work for hire you know it, it, it would rarely if ever do its own projects and everyone working in there so it's 300 people working in there and they're all uh, focused on you know netflix will come to lighthouse and ask to have their show animated there or disney or whoever you know and then on the other hand in cartoon saloon we kind of work a different model we go to an event called cartoon movie every year and that's where everyone presents their projects european studios present their projects and you look for co-producers so generally you go with your idea you pitch it to everyone there and that would be a range of broadcasters distributors streaming services and other studios and you kind of gather like I always call it a coalition of the willing you know like George Bush used to talk about and whatever mad project you have to make it mightn't be the most commercial idea but if you get enough other small studios that are willing to help out you all just raise as much finance as you can in your own territory and in between you all you can get a project made so that was how we made our films for up until the breadwinner when Angelina Jolie got involved um, prior to that the only way to get something made that wasn't like work for hire was to get a co-production going with other small studios 
and then sell it. Once it's done, you go to Cannes, you go to Berlin, you go to all the film festivals and sell it, you know. And so at that stage, are you, are you building an eight-year project? Are you kind of like saying to those, the, the coalition of the willing, are you saying like, all right, yeah. lads, this is going to be eight years. You know, do you have the, the stomach for that type of thing or is it or is that just uh, well, how long it takes? No, I mean, the reality is that the actual full production might take about two years. And it would take you a long time. Like, I was still working on Song of the Sea when we started working on Wolfwalkers. And the script and putting together the finance and putting together the partners took the first four years, I'd say. So by the time we got the cartoon movie, we had done a lot of work. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in a very small group, just a writer, myself and Ross, and a few other artists putting together like a, a pitch, like putting the script together putting the artwork together, doing showing animation tests. And then we were kind of ready to invite other partners in. Yeah, and then when they get involved, they generally come on board and they schedule the time that they have to raise the money. And then once the money's raised, there's a kind of a moment where you have to say you're greenlit. And then you have about 24 months usually to actually get all the animation done, like according to the work that was done before. So it's a very long lead in time, a long development and pre-production and then about 24 months, maybe 36 months at the most for the actual production. And is, 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 is that where you come in now? Like what is your, are you doing much drawing these days or is it all kind of management? Yeah, I'm, I tr- I've always tried to keep my um, career a little bit of both because I, got into it to draw you know and we just had a good deep dive into the art side I'm very passionate Mm. about that side I've learned a lot about business and management as well but we've also like I think the studio's pushing up to around 200 and something people now you know and there's a lot of people to manage we have a HR department we have you know accountants team and producers that we work with and we hired a a managing director who had been a great advisor to us in the early days because he had been the managing director in the Don Bluth studio, you know, so he's a bit older than us and a bit more um, battle-worn and he's been through a lot and he's, his background is accounting and he kind of brought a business structure to it. So that allows me, like we were very, the long, the long time that we were struggling, the first, let's say 10, 15 years that we were struggling, it was because it was me, Paul and Nora, who all really just wanted to be artists, trying to do a bit of everything and trying to balance it all. And then when, when Jerry came in and built a business team around us um, and allowed us to sort of build up, you know, specialised departments, I was able to focus much more on just the directing and design side of things. So I try and keep it at least 50-50. And when you're in the middle of production, sometimes you spend more of your time um, drawing over other people's stuff to show them what you want them to do or mm. preparing, doing little notes to show people what you want rather than actually doing. I always like to animate one or two scenes myself, but I don't get to animate that many because I'm so busy just sort of overseeing a big team. And we'd mm. have teams in the co-production studios like in France and Luxembourg. <laughs> There'd be a bit of traveling to work with the artists there. So at a certain point, you become like a cheerleader, like you've done all the pre-production, you've done all the storyboards, you've designed the characters, the style is set and it's just you're trying to get 200 people to bring this thing to a finish <laughs> and you know you direct the actors and you know you work with the musicians but a lot of your day in as an animation director is looking at the work or coming in from the team or explaining to them what you need for the next scene yeah. you know yeah i'm always fascinated with that because there's so many people involved you almost need a need a kind of hive mind in on the one thing like there's so many pieces to it but it yeah. all comes together like it's the definite watching Wolf Orcus is like it's a definition of multiple things coming together at the same time, all constantly throughout. Yeah, I'm just it blows my mind 
Like, yeah. but obviously there's, there's a structure on it, you know, that. It's why I like animation, but it's also why I'm taking a break. Like I couldn't afford mm-hmm. to take a break before now because the studio was always in a rocky place where we'd finish one project and we'd immediately be looking for the money for the next one. Whereas right now, Nora, one of my partners in the studio is directing something. Paul is directing something. As I said, Jerry and his team have the business side under control. And there's a couple of people that have worked with us that have developed and made their own shows. So the studio is quite busy and mm-hmm. I can step away and focus on just being an artist again because mm-hmm. it's very easy to get sucked into the just the whirlwind of like management and organizing and keeping all the plates you know those guys who spin plates and they have to keep keeping all the sticks but you know mm-hmm. you feel like you're doing that and um i ended up doing more drawing after hours and at weekends than i was doing in my work day so i got a bit burnt out and i decided to step away from it a bit because that's the other side you could just spend a whole career you yeah. know managing other people um, and not really getting to draw as much as you'd like yourself you know? it's funny i i I own a recruitment company. I do finance recruitment now day to day. And I feel like I'm, con- I tell people I'm constantly spinning plates because mm. it's a people business, you know? And then in the evenings I'm, I'm working on my art. Yeah. So in a way there's a similarity there. Like any kind of business owner, you are going to be spinning plates, you know, yeah. keeping everything going. And then almost to re- as a release, release, you're, you're, you're getting and, you into know, that flow state, you know, I, I think that flow state is really important. Like mm. I'm inking a comic at the moment. I take on little jobs. Like we're doing a comic book adaptation because of the success of Wolf Walkers. Mm. Our previous films are getting deals that they didn't have before. So we made a comic for Wolf Walkers and it sold really well. So now we're doing a comic for Song of the Sea, which was the film before that. And so a lot of the artwork's already done, but I'm doing original stories and I'm getting to spend my time. I was up to 11 o'clock last night inking in that flow state. And mm-hmm. it's very hard because there's a great pleasure in spinning all the plates and seeing what you can make with a big team and the excitement of working with a big team. But there is something also lovely about giving yourself the time to fuck, go into that flow state. And yeah, yeah. When we were really struggling, Enterprise Ireland, we'd been nominated for an Oscar, but we were going bust. You know, it was that kind of cliche after mm-hmm. Secret of Kells. And um, it was the international crisis and we hadn't been good business people. We've made a good film, but we've gone into debt making it. And Enterprise Ireland gave us an advisor. It was really fantastic. And he had been in animation, but he'd got completely into the into the VC side of tech, you know. But like yourself, you would paint on Sunday. He's a brilliant painter, you know. So it just shows like, you know, there's, that's why I think it's always worth, like, there's, it's never lost. If a kid is into art and they get good at it, they always have it, you know, it's like music or something, you know, it's definitely yeah. a, and it's so, definitely a meditative thing, you know. So you're saying there's a chance for me in uh, oh, you uh, never know. National Saloon, yeah? You never know, Mark. <laughs> accounting like, recruitment my, artist uh, on the way there maybe i am maybe. telling you man we are we're hungry at the moment it's a busy it's a busy business it's a busy industry like we're hiring all the time and growing all the time and there's kind of a limit to that for me too i don't necessarily want to become a huge studio you know um and uh yeah it's hard to know you know because it's what we always wanted but we never expected all our all the buses to arrive at the same time but yeah. so many of our own projects have been greenlit because the content industry is so huge, you know, like all the streaming platforms, they need content, you know? And so we're busy as anything and hiring like mad. And also we're dealing with the pandemic and people are working from home and it's a crazy moment. So you never know if you, like we have a person who's made, she came to us as an optician who had, she'd ran her own optician shop in France or in Spain. And she had gone back to college and retrained in Dundee, I think in Scotland. And uh, she came to work with us and now 
I mean, that's five or six years ago, or maybe more. But now she's doing her own show. She's developed her own little preschool show, and that's gotten off the ground. I think it's with Warner Brothers, wow. and uh, another guy who was into art as a younger fella, but got totally into the building trade. He was like a builder because the Celtic Tiger, that's where the money was. And apparently the way he tells the story was he just one day was just like he took bunked off sick and just drew and drew and realized, why did I stop doing this? He went back to Ballyfermot and um, again, he's older than me, you know, but he's one of our best artists. So yeah, definitely people come in at all stages in life, which is something I love about animation. You know, I, I wanted to ask, I, I know we're, shortly running out of time but for young people um even selfishly thinking of my daughters you know yeah what would you say to them if they want to do you know to work in a place like cartoon saloon like what should they be doing over the next 10 years as children slash teenagers to 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 get ready for for that kind of career yeah. all i can say is the things that i serendipitously did i think worked out well so on one hand i drew a lot and I think just drawing with traditional media from life is really worth doing because the software keeps changing. You might be able to make something look really groovy with software, but it's a bit like electronic music. You know, you have to have a decent uh, skill set underneath. So just being able to draw from life and, and enjoy drawing and muck around and do your own animation and put it online and, you know, create a community. Because the second part for me is community. Like being part of Young Irish Filmmakers in the 90s, I didn't realize it but it was at least 50% of what I needed for the rest of my life because we had to learn to work together. Like it wasn't just me in my bedroom making whatever I wanted. I had to compromise. I had to get up early and get the crew in and work with them. And, you know, all of that stuff, even if I wasn't a director, half the time I was on clapperboard, but I saw what it was to make a movie and what a team effort it was and that we could make something better by working together. So I also say to young people, like one side of it is, yeah, being really good at drawing. But if you become so insular, and you're just, you know, and you don't, you don't communicate, you won't be able to work mm. in a team. So much of it is working in a team. So develop those people skills at the same time and, and build a tribe, like find your mm. tribe. That was such a big thing for me, you know. Definitely. Um, so what does, what does the future, I know your immediate future is a uh, fine art. Um, yes. But uh, what, what's the future for, for Cartoon Saloon? Yeah, well, I mean, Cartoon Saloon, as I said, are super busy. We're in the middle of a feature film for Netflix called My Father's Dragon. That's probably the biggest film we've ever done. And we made it during the pandemic. That's uh, Nora Toomey's directing that. And then we have a preschool series called Puff and Rock uh, that Jeremy Purcell is directing with us. And we also have that, sh that show I told you about that Nuria Blanco's doing, Silly Sundays. And we have a feature film based on, um, oh no, uh, not a feature film, let's say it's a serial at feature film quality based on like Irish and Greek myths that's being made as well for Apple. So it's super busy at the moment. Wow. Yeah. A lot in the hopper there for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, what we usually like to do, we're coming up on time here. It's been such an interesting conversation. Really uh, switched gears for us. Like we were telling before the, the podcast, we've been going down like the finance route and that type of stuff and investing. In that. <laughs> and it's good to just take a step back, think about the creative stuff. Um, but also, uh, it's, it's an incredible business. And, uh, it, you know, Tim Ferriss giving you guys shout outs. Uh, Reese Witherspoon's all over it, which is great. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, the new Oprah effect. Yeah, the new Oprah effect. Yeah, so, new Oprah effect yeah. One more uh, question before we let you get on with your evening here. Would you prefer a Shark Pod t shirt or a Shark Pod mug? Well, a t shirt. I like the look of your t shirt. Yeah, Mark Baker's. Yeah. Uh, th that's the current model that Mark has uh, that he's. Uh, <laughs> ah, okay, model. cool. So we'll get I that. I love it. We'll get that out to you, Tom, uh, as soon as we can. And thanks very much Girl for coming. Mila. 
Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. All right, Slan. See you. Bye.